Hey, uh, good morning, uh, Sojourners. Good to see everybody here online today. Um, well, if you're joining us here for the first time, or if you haven't been with us in a while, we have returned to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, chapter 7, and we've been looking at this place. And again, I, I, I don't think we're going to go over the whole whole book. It, it's just so much there, and, and some of it kind of overlaps. And, and so today, uh, chapter 6 and 7, I think it's important to address because it's very relevant and it's very practical. And last week... Um, you know, a little bit more of a PG-13 kind of sermon as we talked about about sex and the week before that as well, not only among singles, but also uh, in, in marriage. And uh, today, uh, what we'll see from our passage, what I want to address from this passage, and there's a lot here. This is a very difficult and, and complicated passage, and I won't be able to address everything here. But I do want to point out here uh, what Paul says about singles, uh, what Paul says about singleness. And, and not even so much with the issue of, of sex, although that's part of it, we're, we're going to move away from the topic of sex. And uh, now we're moving more to the topic of, of, of singleness or of relationships. And I know for many of us in our church, uh, you might think, oh, well, this subject, uh, singleness, it, it's irrelevant to me because I'm not single anymore. But I want to address it for, for two reasons. Um, one is that even though the majority in our church are, are married, it's precisely because singles are a minority in our church that we need to address it. Because otherwise, it'd be very easy to kind of just neglect, uh, to kind of brush off, even to kind of treat singles as, you know, someone who's a lesser in life uh, because of their phase of life. And just because you think the topic of singlehood is irrelevant to you, it doesn't mean that singles, therefore, are irrelevant in the church, right? In fact, it's quite the opposite. In a healthy Christian community, there shouldn't just be a concern for, for, for people in our own phase of life, but there also should be a concern for those people in, in their particular phases of life, especially if those brothers and sisters make up a minority in your group, in your community. You may not be single today, but you may know someone who is, right? You may have a family member who's still single uh, and older. And, and, you know, who knows? One day, if you have children, uh, maybe one of them may be in the same situation that many singles are today. So that's a reason to address it. And the second reason I want to address singlehood is this. I know in our church, as a minority demographic, uh, sometimes as a single person, you can feel out of place. Um, you can feel alone and feel oftentimes very lonely. Um, and I want you to know something. You are certainly, as a single person, not alone. And I'm not just saying this in sort of that Christian-y sort of God is always with you kind of thing, right? Which is, which is absolutely true. But statistically speaking, uh, maybe not in our church, <clears throat> but think about this. In our country, in our, around the world, in fact, marriage is on the decline. Marriage is on the decline. Single living is on the rise. Did you know that? According to a report done by the United Nations for women around the world in 2019, they entitled it Progress of the World's Women. The number of women who reach late 40s without ever being married is increasing, not just in our country, but around the world. And because of that, now we have more women who've had more time to get a higher education and have higher degrees than men. We have more women who are now stronger, have a stronger foothold in the labor market. 
And we have more women, even more than men, who are pulling their own mortgages and supporting themselves financially. So much so that they are predicting that in 10 years or so, many of the world's major positions in leadership will be held by women. And it's not just women here, but also men, men and women. Did you know that the average age which people marry, not just in our country, but in the world is increasing? More marrying later. And oftentimes later marriages are remarriages because unfortunately more divorces are there. There is more divorce, divorce is increasing. According to the Pew Research Center, they estimate that by the time Think about this, this is kind of interesting. By the time today's young adults, today's young adults reach age 50, 25% will have been single their whole lives. Think about that. By the time, if you're a young adult and you hit age 50, one out of every four people in this country will have been single their whole life through those 50 years. In fact, did, did you know, I, I didn't know this, but did you know that this trend is, is growing so much that every year, September 20th to September 26th, that week is called Unmarried and Single Americans Week. Did you know that? I mean, these days there's, there's, a, there's a special day for everything that I did, but this, this began in the 1980s. It started in Ohio and it became nationwide. Unmarried and Single Americans Week, right? September 20th, 26th every year. I didn't, I didn't know we did that. And so when you have more people staying single, at least until their late 40s. When you have more people who marry are doing it later and later in life and more people are getting divorced, the overall population of adults is going to include over time, fewer people who are married and more who are not. And sociologists are predicting and saying that this will change then the social, the political, and the economic landscape of our country. Not only of our country, but maybe even of the world. So I just want you to know, if you are single, you are certainly not alone. And it's something, therefore, I think, therefore, that we need to address as Christians. Because being single, especially as a Christian today, can be, can be tough. You might think marriage is tough. Those of you who are married, you might say, yeah, it's really hard. Or if you have children, and that's really hard as well. And it, and it can be, okay? There's no question about that. But there is also no question that if we're single, especially uh, an older or, or getting older kind of single, it can be really difficult. Not just in the case of, of, of Christian sexual ethics, but but in general, in life, uh, in relationships, just in general. And what you've got to understand that when Paul, <clears throat> Paul wrote this letter, he, he wrote this letter in a culture uh, where it was a given that you should get married, that everyone should get married. In fact, if you weren't married by a certain age, you would most likely, in, even in this culture, be treated like an alien, as if maybe there was something wrong with you. You would be treated inferior, uh, you would be treated, in fact, like a second-class citizen. That's how it was in Paul's time. In fact, that's how it was in most cultures of, of Paul's day. They had similar views. And so what Paul is going to say in these verses, it, it's actually quite counter-cultural to his own audience. And in many ways, and for, for many of us, it may sound a little bit different from our own views as well. You see, we might not be so blunt or blatant about the issue of singleness as the Corinthians were, but think about this. Um, if you are single today, 
or if you could remember that time when you struggled with your singleness, how many times had someone say to you, hey, you know what? You're such a good catch. You're a great person. Why aren't you married? All right. You should get married. And you know what you thought at that time? You're thinking probably, duh, like, uh, no kidding. It's not up to me. Uh, and you might even think that, you know, this person, as we say this with good intentions, you assume that maybe, first of all, you really want marriage. You're assuming that. Or maybe, yeah, you know, when you say something like this to a single person, maybe you're assuming that, well, of course you'd want to get married. Why aren't you married? Of course you would, because that's the normal thing to do in our culture. As if to assume that somehow, if you're not married, that maybe you're somehow incomplete, that you can't be possibly satisfied with your life as it is right now. How many times have you heard uh, from someone tell you if you're single, oh, you know what, why aren't you dating? Why, why aren't you married? You're just too picky. And you thought to yourself, what do I get to pick from, right? What, what, what's, what are my options? And to be honest, personally, I think sometimes we're not picky enough, right? And so unfortunately for, for many of us, many of the singles, that's the world's perspective. Uh, that's our family's perspective. That, that's some of our parents' perspective. And that leads for many of us who are still single, it pressures us to feel a sort of deep restlessness, a, a dissatisfaction uh, in our lives. And we find contentment then hard to come by. And let's face it, it's sometimes the, the church, it, it doesn't really help that much in this regard all the time, does it? So even with regard to sexual ethics, it's sometimes if you're single, and especially if you're an older single, it just doesn't seem fair sometimes, right? Because you're trying to be a good Christian in the world, but on the one hand, the world pressures you to, to give up a Christian view of sex, because after all, who does that anymore? And, and it's just too hard. But on the other hand, you got people in the church that are pressuring you to marry as soon as possible. And so it's a difficult situation to be in. So many of our assumptions presuppose the normativity of married life that we fail to remember the singles in our midst. And you can kind of be left with this impression that as a single person, even in the church of Jesus Christ, that maybe somehow, maybe you're deficient or you're lacking. Um, and, and maybe what you need to do if you're, if you're really going to belong is to get married as soon as possible. And as you come here to this passage, I want us to see this, especially from verses 6 to verse 9. Listen to what Paul says, because it's very different from what everybody else was pretty much saying in his time. He says this, as a concession, not as a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind, one of another, to the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Three things I want us to see here with regards to singleness that I think Paul points out. And again, this is just a sermon. It, 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 we won't be able to address every situation about what it feels like and means to be single today. That's probably for another seminar or Bible study, but just at least from this passage, I see three things. One, Paul says singleness is not mandatory. Number two, but rather it's a good thing. And number three, it's actually a gift. It can be a gift, okay? It's not mandatory, uh, it's a good thing, and uh, it can be a gift, all right? So let's look at this very carefully. Verse six, he, he says this, um, 
not as a command, but as a concession, he's saying. Meaning this, this is not a command to be like he is, which is single. It's not a mandatory thing. Now, now, why was that important? You know, isn't that obvious? Of course, who'd want to be commanded to be single for the rest of their lives? But it wasn't so obvious for a group of Christians in Corinth. If you remember from last week, there was a group of people, a small group of people, who wanted to deny all bodily pleasure or appetite. So they would have loved it if Paul would just command the church, hey, I want you to remain single and celibate your whole life. You know, the spirit is good, the body is bad. So just focus on the spirit and deny the body, right? That's a small group of people that that was uh, in, in Paul's church in He's addressing that. He wants to be careful with that. He doesn't want to go that far. And so he makes it clear in verse 6. This is a concession. This is something that this is more personal opinion. It's not a command. He makes it clear that even though he thinks being single is good, it's not mandatory, no matter what that group was saying. Okay? Now, for some reason, which we'll get into a moment, Paul sees being single as a good and noble thing. In fact, He even says that he wishes that everyone was like him. And it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because everyone else around him was saying, it's better to be married than to be single. And yet Paul is saying the very opposite. And yet he's also saying, but there's no command to be single, just as there is no command to be married. In other words, there's a freedom there that we're to understand. What Paul was trying to teach these, I guess, right-wing Christians of his day, you could say, uh, is that there's freedom here. So even though he thinks singleness is good, it's not something that he's willing to say, uh, this is what you have to be. And I think that's probably good news for most of you, if not all of us, right? So that's the first point. But the second thing here we see is this. Not only is it not mandatory singleness, but he calls it a good thing. Singleness is a good thing. Now, why in the world, some of you might be thinking, would he say single and being single is a good thing? Because it doesn't feel like a good thing many times, right? And many of you might be thinking, well, of course he'd say that because this is the Apostle Paul. This is missionary Paul, right? He's like a celibate priest anyways. He's this holy moly, you know, serving God the whole life kind of person. Of course he's going to say be single like him, right? But I want you to know something very interesting about Paul. Paul is not a monk, okay? He's he's not a priest. And there's evidence to suggest that that Paul, actually, did you know this? Paul's probably married once in his life before. Before, maybe before he became a Christian. You remember, he was a member of the strictest sect of Judaism. He was a Pharisee. For whom, if you were a male and you were a Pharisee, a religious leader in the Jewish culture, it was norm that you should be married. But he was also a member of the Jewish ruling council, the Sanhedrin, which required you to be married. So by the time Paul writes this letter to the Corinthians, perhaps he was a widower, or maybe his wife left him, or maybe he got divorced upon his conversion. The Apostle Paul most likely was a married person, probably divorced, maybe a widower. But whatever the case might be, when he talks about being single and when he talks about marriage, this is not just abstract advice that he's giving. But it's probably for him very personal, very experiential, and even very painful from what he had to experience and what he's doing now. Whatever the case you want to make about this, here's the point. 
when he talks about being single here, he's not writing as some confirmed bachelor who's phobic about women. He's writing as a person who bears the scars of, of loss, of difficult relationship maybe, and he wants the best for his church. And however you wanna make sense of that, this is much at most, at most is clear. Paul does not think of singles the way his contemporaries thought of singles, nor does he think about singleness the way many of us tend to think about it, okay? The bottom line for Paul is this. Paul says singleness is good. Singleness has its own dignity. It has its own worth. So Paul rejects the view of the world on the one hand that says, you know, why even get married when you can be single and you can just sleep around? That's the world. But on the other hand, he also rejects this view that to move forward in life, to move on to the next phase of your life, to find significance or value or identity, or even to just fit in with all your other friends, you have to get married because you're missing out. He rejects that view as well. So the question some of you singles might be wondering, and maybe many of you might be wondering is this. So then how in the world can Paul say that being single is a good thing? Why in the world do we say that he wishes everyone was like him? I mean, think about this. If you were a student, uh, if you were in your teens, maybe in your 20s, even in your 30s, you might agree with him. Yeah, single life is great as long as you could date around, right? But what about when you hit your 40s? What about when you get into your 50s? What about your 60s, your old age, your retirement? What about family or, or children? What about you know, being alone or companionship and, and so on and so forth. What about those things, right? How could he say that's good? On the other hand, if you're married and, and or you're married with kids, maybe you're agreeing with Paul here a lot more than you did before. Yeah, singleness is good, you know, or it was a good thing. Uh, I don't know. But in what sense then is Paul saying being single is good? And I want you to know this. He's not saying singleness uh, is good just for the sake of being single. But I want to give you two words, okay? Focus and purpose. Focus and purpose. If you keep reading this chapter, and we didn't read it today, or Sam didn't read it because it wasn't in our passage, it was too long. But if you keep reading this chapter, listen to what he's, Paul says in verse 28 uh, and in verse you know, 34. He says this in verse 20. Those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. Verse 32, I want you to be free of anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about the worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. And the unmarried woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. You hear what Paul says, and this is, this is, I think he's trying to be as real as he can get. You know, he's like, he says this, you know, if you're going to get married, you're going to have troubles. And I want to spare you of that. He says in verse 32 in this chapter, I want you to be free from worry and anxieties. And if you're married, you're going to have more. That's what he seems to be saying, right? And, 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 and I don't think he's downplaying the, the blessing of being married, okay? I think he's simply just being a good Christian. But for Paul, here's the point. It's the focus and purpose of being married or single that in his mind makes it good. 
And that focus and that purpose, as he says later in this chapter, in verse 32 and verse 34, is this, how to please the Lord. Now, let's be clear. Of course, he's not saying marriage is a bad thing. Of course, if you're married, you should please your wife or you should please your husband or you should you raise your kids well and you should love them as, as Christ loved the church. He says that everywhere else in, other, in his other letters, especially in the letter to, to Ephesus. Um, he's not saying it's a bad thing. And neither is he saying that marriage is going to be detrimental to your faith, right? At least it shouldn't be. But he's simply being very practical here. He's just being practical because let's face it, Marriage can be difficult. It can be difficult. Marriage can be hard. Raising children can be hard. But the bottom line, if anything, is simply this. It's just time consuming. It's time consuming. When you get married and you have kids, and all of us know this, you've just got more responsibilities. You've got more people that you need to focus on in your life. Things and people that you just can't ignore. For example, you know, you can't, you can't just take two weeks off from work and, and go on a mission trip anytime you want. You can't just sit down and, and take time to yourself, like you wanted to pray and read the word, you know, to focus on his word and to pray all on your own anytime you want. You just can't do that as much as anymore. And let, let's be honest, some of us who are married with children, even just to get to church on time, even just to keep the Sabbath is difficult for you. Why? Because you've got family obligations right? And he's not downplaying any of these. He's not saying these things are sin or this is wrong. He's just saying it's just, it's just the fact of life. And so for Paul, in his singleness, Paul found freedom and liberty to live for Jesus, to follow him wherever he was led. And in that singleness, following Jesus, he found great satisfaction and great joy. And he wanted the same for us, and he wanted the same for the church in Corinth. It's not that as a Christian, as a married Christian, that you can't do some of these things well in, uh, as a married person. But Paul is just saying it, it's just going to be more hard. It's more difficult. It, it's going to require more time, more, more, more focus, more purpose. Uh, when you're married, to be a, a faithful Christian in this way, it just means you, you, you have to make certain commitments and priorities that you can't compromise, right? But on the flip side, let's be clear about this. Neither is he saying that just because you're single that you're going to do all these things and that you'll be more focused and purposeful with your, with your life, right? Paul is not advocating being single for the sake of just being single, but he's advocating singleness with a purpose, right? Uh, you know, many times in the past, maybe not so much these days, but in the past, I've had single people ask me to pray for them that they'd find, they'd find the perfect spouse, right? The perfect husband or perfect wife. Um, and of course, of course, I, you know, you want to get married. Of course, I want to pray for that. Of course, you know, I want you to be married if that's what you really desire, if that's what you really want, you know. And and uh, sometimes, you know, and I think I've said this before. Sometimes, you know, we we pray and we pray, but you know, nothing seems to be happening. And, and we get depressed or we get down or we get frustrated, uh, whatever the case might be. Um, and our life gets on hold. It, it, it gets put on hold, right? For some of us, we really struggle with this. Or we struggle with that when we're single. But here, let me just say, let me just tell you this, like I tell most singles after a certain time of praying. And that is this. Look, God knows what you want. You've been praying for this. 
but he hasn't given it to you yet. And the only reason that I could think of is not because he's trying to be selfish because he loves you and he's gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you. It must mean this, that your purpose in life has to be bigger than just getting married. That there must be something more to your life than just looking for Mr. and Mrs. Wright. And even though that's important, and even though that's a good thing that you could desire it, if you're going to make that the center of your life, the focus of your life, like you can't do anything else until you get married, that you're kind of, your life is on hold, you have the wrong perspective on how to approach it. And I think, therefore, this, at least in part, is Paul's answer to the Christian single that is struggling with sex and marriage, as important as those things are. As good as those things are, even to be desired as those things are, they are not the be-all, end-all of your life. Jesus is. Jesus is. As good as sex and marriage and relationships uh, as they are, they can easily be turned into idols. They can easily distract you from what Paul says is what you really need the most. No doubt, yes, it can be hard. It can be lonely at times. But if Paul is right, like he wrote to the church in Philippi, if Paul is right that to be with Christ, to know him, to have him in your life makes everything else look like rubbish, then Jesus is enough. That's what he believed. And the question that we need to ask ourselves once in a while is this, do we also believe the same? Because if you do, then you know whether you're single or not, you as an individual have been created in his image. You are complete in him alone. You are wholly loved, right? You are called like everyone else, married or not, to glorify your God and to enjoy him forever. You've been given purpose and meaning even in your own singleness. And I know that being single can feel like you're always alone. But feeling alone doesn't always have to mean feeling lonely. And if you're waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright, your life is not to be on hold. You're not to wait in your singleness doing nothing. But you are constantly to ask the question, in my particular situation, in my situation, how can I please the Lord? In my family, in my vocation, how can I please the Lord? In my school, in my church, how can I please the Lord? In my friendships, in my relationships, how can I please the Lord? And so in this sense, practically speaking, Paul says, because you have all this time to devote to that personal purpose and that question, singleness can be a good thing. It's not mandatory. It's a good thing. And here's the third point. It could also be a gift. <clears throat> here's a question that we need to ask. <clears throat> What's the difference between a person who is still single and a person who is married or in a relationship? Is it because, well, you know, that one person in the relationship, he or she was just better looking and prettier? Was it because that maybe this person was a little more successful in life and therefore a little more eligible for, for marriage and for relationship, right? 
Or is it because maybe the, that one person who's in a relationship now was just more outgoing than you are, more open than you are, more, more social and more intentional, more aggressive and looking for a relationship than you are? Maybe, right? Maybe. But notice in our passage where Paul locates the difference between those who are single and those who marry. It's not in the individuals themselves. Look at verse 7. He says this. Each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. And I know some of you singles are thinking, singleness is a gift? I hope that's a gift I never get. I hope it has a receipt so that I can return it, right? But when Paul says it's a gift, and for some of us, a momentary gift, and maybe a few, a lifelong gift. But what you need to understand when he says gift is this, that the word gift, it shares the same root word as the word grace. And Paul is saying this, that if God in his providence is calling you to a single life, even temporarily, it means that he will also give you the grace that you will need to find in your singleness a satisfaction and contentment, a usefulness in his service to the Lord. He'll give you that grace to do that. That's why he calls it a gift. Grace in singleness is the ground of faith and patience as you follow Jesus Christ. There's grace for you in your singleness. And if you're married or you're married with children, there's grace for you as well because it's a gift. Marriage is a gift. Look, you know, married people, you don't deserve to be married. You don't deserve your kids, okay? They're by grace. These people in your life, they are gifts to you. I know sometimes they feel like curses, right? But they are gifts. So let me end with this question then. There is no command here to be single or to get married. You're free to do either, but both are to be considered gifts. So which gift? Which gift do you want? Which gift do you have? And, and, and we're given a little bit of this answer for, from Paul in verse 9. He says there in verse 9 that not everyone is gifted for a lifelong uh, singleness. Because Paul says in verse 9 that if you can't exercise self-control, then you should marry. Because it's better to marry than to burn with passion, right? And here's what I think he means by this practically. As a single person, as you live your life, as you are faithful to him in your situation, knowing that you know you're not called to be celibate for the whole of your life, you should be open to marriage. Even if you feel like you've been single for so long that it's never going to happen, you should be open, not just open. You need to be intentional. You need to take more initiative if you want to get married, you need to make effort and be a little more aggressive. I think that's what he's trying to say here. Get married, especially if you like self-control, as long as this does not become the sole purpose and goal of your life. Which gift do I want? Which gift do I have? Here's what I want us to think about, whether you're married or not. If singlehood is a gift and marriage is a gift, and, and, and God is the giver uh, of these gifts. I'm pretty sure God doesn't give gifts that would drag you away from him. I'm pretty sure that God doesn't give gifts that would hinder your faith and getting closer to him. But just the opposite. 
And the question that we need to find or ask ourselves, whatever situation we're in right now, whether you're married or whether you're single, here's the question. What have you been doing with that gift? What have you been doing with the gift that you've been given, the gift of marriage or the gift of single? What have you been doing with that time with these people? Here's a question to consider, right? If you're considering as a single person marriage or singlehood or, or whatever the case, here's the question. Will or does the quality of your marriage increase your faith and love to God and others? Will it grow you in your faith or will it stunt you and will it hinder you? Will being single, will remaining, will, will remaining single, will that increase your faith up to God and others? Or will it hinder it and turn you inward on yourself without any thought to anything else? Consider where you are in your life right now, married or single. And if marriage is a gift given to you by God and you're married, maybe your marriage needs to take some steps to fulfill God's purpose in it and not just your own. How can we please the Lord? That's the question. Or if you're single, maybe you need to reevaluate how you're living your life with the time that you have given in this moment, making the most of your God-given time for a God-given purpose. How can I please the Lord? You know what? In retrospect, I don't know what it's like to be single anymore. It's been so long. I don't remember. But I do know one thing. What the heck did I do when I was single all that time? You know, if I think back now, in retrospect, there was so much more that I could have done as a Christian, so much more I could have done as a person. But what did I do? I, I stayed in my room all day playing Street Fighter 3 all day, right? Playing Tetris all day. You know, if you don't know what Tetris is, you know, that's my generation. But, you know, you know, it's just, you know, what did I do? And sometimes as a single person, we need to evaluate this God-given moment and what we do with our time with purpose. You've been given purpose. How can I please the Lord? And so whatever gift you have, whatever gift you desire, both singleness and marriage are equally valid in God's eyes. Both singlehood and marriage are also to be paths of faithful obedience to the call of Jesus for which he will give the grace we need to honor him and to live for him. And so, to the singles, I, I want to encourage you. Although I know it's hard, and it can be difficult, especially as we get older, especially as uh, that demographic becomes bigger, not only in our church, but also in our country. Uh, some practical questions we haven't addressed here, it can be really difficult. But I also want you to know that there's purpose for you as well. And that there's God's, I think, provision that we need to continue to trust in and to continue to be open to and continue to be faithful to. Now, I haven't addressed uh, the, the latter part of this passage. Uh, I'm not sure if I will. There's just so much there with regards to marriage and divorce, which is a whole other issue. Um, and I feel like maybe that could be saved for a seminar. But I did want to address the singles from what Paul says here. He does it again later on in this chapter. But for now, I think this is where we'll end. And so let's just continue to pray, not just 
for for our for our married folks and and for our children. Let's also pray for those who are yet single, and let's not just pray that you know they find someone to marry, but also pray find that they find contentment uh, in whatever situation that they find themselves in, which we'll probably talk about next week. So let's uh, let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you so much for your grace. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your mercy. Lord, help us to remember that you are 